Father, this morning, we're just so grateful to gather together as the church and to sing to you and just to be encouraged by being with one another. And Lord, I just pray during this time right now as we open up your Bible that, Holy Spirit, you would speak to our hearts. Lord, as we're going to see your scripture say that your truth is a spiritually discerned truth. And what that means, Lord, is we need you to help us to understand. So, Lord, would you help us? Would your spirit speak to us? Would you help us to understand what your word says this morning and how it impacts our lives? And, Lord, I want to pray specifically from the text that we're going to be in this morning that that you would do this, that, Lord, you would help us to be a church in response to this scripture that you would help us to be a church that plunges deep into the depths of knowing you, Lord, that that we would be people who want to know you more, more, and more. And at the very same time, that we would be a church that casts our nets wide to reach those who are farthest from you. Pray that our church, Lord, would be marked by both. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So a few weeks ago, I think three weeks ago, uh, we started to study various texts in the Gospels of Luke, which we're in right now. The Gospel of Luke is an eyewitness account of Jesus. So three weeks ago, we were in Luke 9, and we studied when Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem to, to, to start his journey, because in Jerusalem, he would ultimately go to the cross Two weeks ago, we were in Luke 19, when Jesus enters into Jerusalem, where he would ultimately go to the cross. Last week, we were in Luke 24. It was Easter. And so we studied how Jesus had to die on the cross, and he had to be raised again from the dead. And that was last week. And this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to start a new sermon series called Jesus and the Outsider. And to begin this series, what I want us to do is I want us to pick up right where we left off in Luke 24, right after the resurrection of Jesus. And I want you to think about the people who were following Jesus throughout his whole ministry, his disciples. Just three years prior to the death and resurrection of Jesus, they were just normal people working normal jobs, doing normal things. And this guy comes by and says, you follow me. Drop everything. Drop your job. Leave your family. Follow me. And these guys aren't crazy. I mean, there was something burning in their heart. The Holy Spirit was doing something in them. And they knew in the depths of their souls, I need to follow that guy. And so they drop everything and they follow him. And they saw this guy claim that he was the son of God. They saw him claim that he was the Messiah. They saw him do things like make the blind see and control the weather and raise people from the dead. And so they followed this guy, Jesus, all the way down to Jerusalem. And when we got into Jerusalem, things got a little out of hand. Jesus was arrested. They saw him be tried. They saw him be tortured. And then they saw him brutally executed on the cross and then be buried in a tomb. Jesus died on the cross on a Friday. And could you imagine how long and confusing and dark 
Saturday was. Was was this all a hoax? Like, I saw this guy raise people from the dead and now he's buried in a tomb. What do we do now with our lives? What do we believe now? What, what, what do we make of our faith? Was, was the last three years just a waste of time? It's Saturday. And in Luke 24, we read last week that Jesus was raised from the dead. And then later in the passage, he appears to his disciples. And what Jesus is going to do in that passage is he is going to bring clarity to everything. We are people that need clarity. God created our minds with the ability to reason and use logic. And it is a right thing for us to want clarity when it comes to how we relate with God and what God wants from us. It's good that we want clarity. And in this interaction between the risen Jesus and these shell-shocked disciples, Jesus is going to bring such needed, perfectly timed clarity. You know, my wife and I lived in Dallas for a bit. Um, I was doing some seminary work. And while I was down there, I got a part-time job at this public policy consulting firm. And this firm was run by a very well-connected Texan. Okay, and his office looked like he was a very well-connected Texan. And so this firm, we had contracts by all kinds of local governments in the Dallas Metroplex. And so cash was not in short supply at this firm. But here's the thing. I don't think anybody knew what we did. I didn't know what we did as a firm. I don't think the actual public policy consultants knew any idea of what we were trying to accomplish. Like what our goals were as a firm. And so I remember I would show up for work. And I'd go to my boss's office, Rick, and I'd say, hey, Rick, you know, I'm here. What can I do for you? And he'd say, hey, Alan, just go sit tight in your office. I'll, I'll be by in a bit. And I'd wait. I'd come back. Hey, Rick, anything I can do for you? And he'd be like, oh, yeah, 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 here. here here's, a, here's something you can do. It'd take me 20 minutes. I'd go back to him. All right, here you go. What else can I do for you? Yeah, 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 sit tight. I'll, I'll be there. And I'd sit and do nothing. I mean, we did nothing in this office. I mean, it was maddening. So what I started to do is I started to look for other jobs. And I'll never forget one time I came into work and I got called into my boss's office. And so Rick sits me down. He goes, hey, uh, Alan, you know, my IT manager uh, brought something to my attention. He told me that you've been uh, using company time and company computers to search for and apply for other jobs. Now, tell me, Alan, are you unhappy with your situation here? And you're like, uh, oh, man, I got caught. I forgot they track everything I do on the computer, right? But actually, in that me meeting, I, I took the opportunity to be like, yes, I'm unhappy. We don't do anything around here. We sit around and do nothing. And you might go, Alan, what is your problem? That's a great gig. You got to do nothing and get paid. But here's the thing. That's miserable, not knowing what we're about, not knowing what my goals are, having nothing to do, that's miserable. Sitting in an office alone by yourself, that's miserable. God has designed us to be motivated when we have clarity and have a purpose. And in this interaction that we're going to read between the risen Jesus and these disciples, Jesus is not just going to provide clarity to his disciples Jesus is going to launch the world's most influential and resilient institution that his disciples will lead. 
And that institution will have the influence and it will have the resiliency that it has because Jesus is going to give it a crystal clear mission and a crystal clear message. And that institution is the church. The church has a clear purpose, a clear mission, a clear message. There should never be a time in the church that we are bored or we don't know what we're supposed to do. And although over the next 2,000 years, the church will be attacked and all sorts of both radical and subtle false teachers will try to get it off message, it will be politically marginalized and many other things will happen to the church, but it will endure It has endured, it will endure, because Jesus gave it a clear mission, a clear message, and the Holy Spirit to hold it all together. And so I want us to read this interaction here in Luke 24. So I'm going to read verses 36 to 49 in Luke 24. Read this with me real quick. It starts, as they were talking about these things, let me just give you that context. So uh, Jesus had appeared to these people who were walking on this road toward Emmaus earlier in Luke 24. And Jesus had appeared to them and he revealed himself to these people. Then Jesus went away and these folks that were walking on this road went to the disciples and were telling them, hey, we, we saw the risen Jesus. So, verse 36, as they were talking about that, Jesus himself stood among them, the disciples, and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet. It's that it's I, it's, it's myself. Touch me, it's see. For spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were disbelief, disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, do you have anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and he ate it before them. You know, that must have been like an awkward, you know, they're just kind of staring at Jesus eating some fish, trying to figure out, is this real? Who, who knows how long that lasted? Verse 44, then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you, while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with the power from on high. So when Jesus appears to his disciples, they're they're obviously in this state of disbelief. Is, Is this actually... Jesus. I mean, they just saw the guy get brutally killed, unmistakably killed and buried inside of a tomb. And and sure, they've been hearing people tell them that he had been risen from the dead, but sometimes it's just hard for us to believe in the supernatural, even when it's right before our eyes. And so what does Jesus do? These guys don't really believe it's him. They're having, they're trying to figure it out. So what does Jesus do? You can see it in verse 44 and 45. Jesus says, get your Bibles out. Everyone get your Bibles out. Get your Old Testaments out. Get your Torahs out. 
Let's do a Bible study. Jesus reveals his identity as the risen Christ by pointing people to the scriptures. And in their day would have been the Old Testament. The New Testament was playing out. And he shows his disciples how all of the Bible is pointing to this very moment where Jesus died and was raised and is now commissioning the church. Earlier in Luke 24, the same thing happens. Those people that were on the road to Emmaus, Jesus appears to them. They don't really believe that it's Jesus. And look what happens in verse 27 in Luke 24. It says, with these people and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And then look at what their response was in verse 32. They said to each other, these people Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Right? Jesus reveals himself through showing himself in all of the scriptures. And so, Grace Hill, we just have to hear this right now. If this book is good enough for the Lord Jesus, who is standing in front of the disciples with holes in his hands and holes in his feet, and he's staying there in the flesh, he's saying, this is me, and they don't believe that, and they're touching them, and they see him, and they don't believe it. If it was good enough for Jesus to say, okay, you don't believe me what, with your eyes, then let's go to the Bible. And if it was good enough for Jesus to say, let me show you that it's me in the Bible, then it's good enough for us. So Jesus makes it clear that all of the Bible is about him and this moment where he was crucified and raised. And so the disciples get it. Jesus, it says he opened their minds to the scriptures. It clicks. I mean, it was the most legit Bible study you've ever attended. And as soon as the disciples get it, Jesus immediately tells them what to do with it. Look at verses 46 to 48. And Jesus said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed. In his name, in the name of Jesus, to all nations, beginning with Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. And so Jesus helps the disciples to understand the content of the scriptures, and then he commissions the disciples to take the message about the crucified and risen Savior to all nations, starting in Jerusalem, start where you're at, and then to the rest of the world. The mission that Jesus gives the disciples and also the church is clear. Preach the scriptures to the nations. That's the mission. Preach the scriptures to the nations. And all of the Bible supports this mission. The entire scripture points towards this mission. I mean, it's clear That God's mission ever since we sinned against him in the garden was to pursue us back so we could be reconciled to him, right? So if you go back to Genesis chapter 12, when God first appears to Abraham, who was the father of the nation of Israel, he appears to him and he tells Abraham, listen, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. That's going to be the nation of Israel. And I'm going to tell you why I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And God very clearly explains to him the why. Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. 
God says to Abraham, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and those who dishonor you, I will curse. Why, God? Why are you going to do that? In you, all the families of the earth, all the peoples, all the tribes, all the tongues of earth will be blessed. I'm blessing you, Abraham, and ultimately Israel, so that this message goes to everyone. Joe read from Psalm 67 for us earlier. If you remember verses one and two, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. Why? That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. This is just scratching the surface in the Old Testament in all of the Bible and the reality that the entire scripture is one unified story that God is accomplishing salvation so outsiders like us could be insiders because of Jesus. I mean, this is why at Grace Hill, we only preach the scriptures and we always preach Christ because the scriptures are about Jesus, right? The black letters and the red letters, Uh, The Old Testament points to Jesus, looks forward to Jesus, sets the stage so Jesus could come in and be the Messiah for the climax of all of history. And the New Testament expounds upon that, reflects on that, tells us what we should do with that. The message of the Bible is all about God redeeming for himself a people in and through Jesus. And that's what Jesus is saying here in Luke 24. Guys, the whole Bible is about this moment. And so the whole Bible is about Jesus because the whole Bible is about how God pursues those who are on the outside so that they can be made insiders. Right? The scriptures say that God created us to live as insiders in his kingdom. That's how he created us. But we sinned against him. Right? We said, God, we don't want to live in your kingdom. We want to do things our own way so we reject his kingdom. And so he makes us outsiders. He kicks us out of the kingdom. We're outsiders. But from the beginning of the Bible to the end, we see an unfolding story about how God makes a way for those who are on the outside of the kingdom of God to be admitted back into the kingdom of God. And that is Jesus. That's the way who came as one of us, died on the cross in our place, was risen from the dead so we could have forgiveness of sins. And now he is offering to us reconciliation with God and check this out, citizenship in God's kingdom. If we'll repent of our sin and trust in Jesus as our savior. And the church has been commissioned by God to continue that mission. Take that mission on of going to the outsiders and proclaiming this message that forgiveness of sins is available in and through Jesus. Don't you find it interesting that immediately after Jesus helped the disciples to understand the Bible, his immediate call on their lives was to go and proclaim it to the outsiders. I mean, the more we understand the scriptures, we have to get this. The more we understand the scriptures, the deeper we go into theology, 
the deeper we plunge into the things of God, the more mature and seasoned we are in our walks with Christ, the more we will understand the reality that our God does not desire any to perish and we will cast our nets wide in proclaiming the good news that forgiveness of sins is available in Jesus. I mean, why does the church exist? Why doesn't God just close it all up, say, hey, let's all go have fun in heaven together? You know what I mean? Jesus did his thing. Why are we still here? Because God has a mission for the church. The church is God's plan for this message to get to outsiders. It's God's plan A. There is no plan B. And this plan will not fail. You know, there seems to be this rivalry in church world between churches that emphasize going deep and churches that emphasize casting their nets wide. The churches that emphasize going deep are accused of not really caring about reaching people. They only care about deep theology. And the churches that cast their nets wide are accused of just caring about reaching people and not really caring about going deep into God's word. And I'm just wondering to myself, why can't we be both? I mean, when I read Luke 24, it seems to me that a deeper understanding of the Bible leads to a wider mission. And if you got a deep understanding of the Bible and not a wide mission, then you didn't understand it. That the deeper we know the heart of God, the more we realize he has commanded us to go proclaim to the nations. That's why we're here. The deeper we plunge into the things of God, the wider our reach will be because Jesus has given the church a clear mission. You could read it in Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, just another version of the eyewitness account of Jesus. Matthew records it like this in verse chapter 28. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus. So with that authority, here's what you're going to do. Go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's our mission. This is why we planted Grace Hill. We didn't plant Grace Hill because we wanted just to be another option of the many great churches that are around here. It's because we believe that the more churches we have who don't question the words of Jesus but take those marching orders seriously— the better, we, the better it is because the more outsiders will be reached. That's why we planted it. But you might say, Alan, here's the deal. I'm with you. Uh, the mission is crystal clear. I don't dispute that whatsoever. But I have to be honest with you. I have a really hard time with this because we're always talking about evangelism. We're always talking about reaching people and talking to our neighbors and coworkers about Jesus. And let me just be straight with you. Can I be straight with you? It makes me uncomfortable and I don't want to do it. Can you relate with that? I'll take the silence nods. I think we can relate with that. It makes me uncomfortable. And I have two responses for us in that. The first one is this, is that Jesus has given us a clear mission. And there is a sense where we are called to sacrifice our comforts and our fears out of love for those who are on the outside of the kingdom of God, that they might hear the message. 
And, and the more you walk with Jesus and the more you plunge deep into the knowledge of scriptures, the more you'll see that this is what we're called to do. But here's the second response I have, is that Jesus has also given us a clear message. And I hope this is encouraging to you. Because I believe that one of the reasons we get so uncomfortable with our call to go after outsiders is because we overcomplicate the message. We believe that what Jesus is asking us to do is to be the one who converts someone from outsider to insider. To be the one that convinces them that they should believe in Jesus. To be the one that has all the answers to all of their questions. To be the one that is winsome enough, smart enough, compelling enough to make them believe. Almost as if we have to be the one to be able to do Jesus' trick there of opening their minds to the scriptures. And if that's the expectation on us, then that should cause us to be nervous, I think. But look at the text here in Luke 24 again. We have the disciples who've been walking with Jesus for the last three years. Get this, they've been listening to his teaching for three years. They've been his students. They've been studying the scriptures. They have seen the resurrection Lord Jesus before them with holes in his hands and holes in his feet. They've seen him perform these miracles. I mean, they've been... They've been following Jesus in this for three years. You would think that doubt would not be an issue for them. And they still don't get it. They still don't have it. I mean, how many times have you said, man, if I actually got to walk with Jesus and see, do him, do all the things that he did and see him teach and I was there and I got to see it, man, I wouldn't struggle with doubt as much. I mean, we've all said that inside of ourselves. But if we look at verse 44 and 45, Jesus says, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. I've told you this before. This is not new teaching to you. But all of a sudden, verse 45, then he opened their minds to the scriptures. And they got it. See, the Bible tells us that the gospel and the truth about Jesus Christ are spiritually discerned truths that our natural minds left to themselves cannot comprehend them in fact to the natural mind the gospel of Jesus is considered foolish look at this first Corinthians chapter 2 verses 12 to 14 it says now we have received not the spirit of the world but the spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given us by God and we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. and He's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. In other words, what we learn in Luke 24 and here in 1 Corinthians 2 is that when it comes to the message that we have been given, our job is to deliver the message God's job is to activate it. Our job is not to make someone believe. We can't do that. Only God's spirit can do that. We can't get in somebody's head. We can't get in somebody's heart. Our job is to faithfully deliver the message. And this is exactly why at the end of Luke 24, Jesus gives them their, miss, their mission and he gives them their message, but tells them to wait until they receive the Holy Spirit. The end of verse 49. 
Behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father. So that's the Holy Spirit. He promised it in John 14. Right? So I'm going to send that. Stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. And you can read about when that happens in Acts 2. But wait till my spirit comes upon you. I'm not sending you on this mission alone. You deliver, spirit will activate. That's how we're going to work together. This is why Jesus tells his disciples in Matthew 28. He gives the great commission and then he says, and I will be with you till the end of the age. This is why in Acts chapter 1, before Jesus ascended to be with the Father, look what he tells his disciples, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then what? And then you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Right? Jesus has given us a clear message and our job is to deliver that message clearly and his job is to activate. It's just the way it works. This is why Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 4. Look at this. He says, therefore, having this ministry of the mercy of God, this ministry of proclaiming the message, we do not lose heart. We don't get fearful. We don't get uncomfortable. We don't get anxious that we have to somehow figure out a way to make people believe this. We don't lose heart. Why? Verse 2, we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or tamper with God's word. Right? We refuse to make God's word more palatable for people. We refuse to do bait and switches. We refuse to uh, somehow strong arm people into believing or guilt tripping people into believing. We don't do any of that what do we do by open statement of the truth we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God we deliver the message that's our job and so here's the clear message it's in verse 47 repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name in Jesus name to all nations repentance and forgiveness of sins is available in the name of Jesus. That's the message. Repentance, we have all sinned and we need to humble ourselves before God and confess our sin and turn from it. And forgiveness, it's available through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Repentance and forgiveness of sins is available in the name of Jesus. Our job is not to force people to believe that. Our job is to deliver the message. Our job is not to make sure the message is more palatable. Our job is to deliver it. You don't want your mailman going through the mail. And so it's good for us to increase our knowledge in the scriptures. And it's good for us to, you know, uh, develop relationships with people as we share Christ with them so we can do it in a more compelling way. It's good for us to figure out how we can better answer people's questions. I'm not saying that we shouldn't try to improve the way that we deliver the message. But here's what we got to understand Right, what we gotta understand is that these things are not prerequisites for us to deliver the message. And even more importantly, those things are not prerequisites for them to believe the message. God has given the church a clear mission, a clear message. Go after the outsiders, tell them that repentance and forgiveness of sins is available in the name of Jesus and no other name. That's the entire message of the Bible. It's that story. So let me close by saying this. God has called us as the church to mobilize the insiders, those who know Jesus, to reach the outsiders. Okay? God has called us to mobilize the insiders to reach the outsiders. 
But here's the problem. Our religious impulses will tempt us to rather judge the outsiders to protect the inside. We've been called to cast our nets wide and go after the outsiders, but our religious impulses will cause us or tempt us to judge the outside and protect the inside. Mike Cosper says it this way in his book, what all religions share in common is a sense that the world is neatly divided into those who are in and those who are out. The in-group has found enlightenment, adheres to the right moral code, and makes the right blood and sweat sacrifices. But Jesus does not call us to this. He sends us on a mission to the outsiders, and that's why we are starting this new series called Jesus and the Outsider. Because Jesus is a model for us on what it means to go after outsiders. And I want us to spend some time as a church thinking about what it means to be on mission and on message here in Northern Virginia. And I want us to learn from Jesus as he engages outsiders. I also want us to confront our own religious impulses to keep the outsider out. And so this is something we're going to be doing as a whole church together for several weeks on Sunday mornings. We're also going to be doing some things in our community groups around this idea. What does it mean for us as a church to be faithful, to take the message to the outsiders? And so I hope that you'll join us through this journey. And I hope that it'll be fruitful for us as a church. Let me pray for us. Father, we are grateful that you have given us clarity. We are grateful that we don't have to guess when it comes to what we should be doing as the church. We're grateful that we don't have to guess on what we should be preaching or proclaiming. And so, Lord, I just want to pray for our church, for Grace Hill Church, Lord, that you would use us to reach people in this town. Lord, not with a gospel that is preached in underhanded or cunning ways, not by watering it down, not by guilt-tripping people into believing it, but Lord, just by open statement of the truth, loving our neighbors, caring and serving our community, and providing the truth to people, trusting that your spirit is going to create belief, is going to help people understand, is going to open their minds to the scriptures as you did with the disciples. So Lord, I pray this would be an encouragement for us, that we're not in this alone. It's not, it's not all up to us. And Lord, I also pray though, Lord, as, as we as a church plunge deeper and deeper into a knowledge of you, a love of you, a knowledge of your scriptures that, Lord, it would do nothing but just continue to fan that flame of the mission that you've given us to cast our nets wide to those who do not know you. I ask for your blessing over this series, Lord, as we study Jesus and how he did this. And Lord, help us to learn. We love you, Lord. Pray as we end our time singing to you, glorifying you, that it would just be a pleasing aroma to you. We love you, Lord, and we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.